Welcome to the Upper 90 Football Podcast, providing American coverage and opinions on all things football. I'm Justin Ruderman. And I'm Garrett Post. And today we will be discussing the Match Day 23 results in the Premier League with a few extra uh, makeup games. And we will also be answering some more questions from our amazing listeners. These questions are great. We've been continuing to do it and continuing to love doing it. So let's get right into it uh, with the Brighton-Chelsea game uh, last Tuesday, almost a week ago at this point. Um, it, it ended 1-1 with Ziek scoring uh, off, off a little deflection uh, from the outside of the box. And uh, Adam Webster with a banging header to equalize in the 60th minute. It ended 1-1. Chelsea dropping more points to a a Brighton team who have looked really good this year, to be honest. Um, And they they sit now in eighth place, or sorry, ninth place in in the table, which is, uh, I think, better than most people would have predicted uh, prior to the season. I believe it's higher than both of us predicted. Um, But yeah, what were your thoughts on this one, Garrett? I mean, it's kind of, we talk about Chelsea wanting to sit back against higher quality opposition and then trying to hit on the counter, but we do know that they struggle and have struggled in the past when they're playing teams that are, you know, lower quality, you know, no disrespect to Brighton. They have been playing really well this year, as you were saying, but, you know, Chelsea have 57% possession, um, but they, they weren't able to do that much with it. And they had 15 shots, only three of them were on target. So that's how you know that, you know, a lot of these efforts are, are from range, not super great scoring opportunities. And the one goal they did get, honestly, was just from poor goalkeeping. Um, it, it, was, it was a shot from Ziyech, which I don't, I don't think it was deflected, but Robert Sanchez got a, a hand to it um, and should have kept it out, but he didn't. It squeaked through. Chelsea had the lead, and then, yeah, great header from Adam Webster, but the marking was really, really poor, just a wide-open header. Um, and we'll talk about there was a wide open header in that Liverpool game too as well, which you can't leave Van Dyke that unmarked. Uh, we'll talk about that later. Just kind of reminded me of that. But um, you know, I, I think Brighton were relatively good value for a draw. Um, you know, they had ten shots. So it's not like they weren't involved going forward or, or anything like that. So yeah, it's a big you know two points drop for Chelsea. You know, if they want to stay in the title race. They have to be finding ways to win games like this. Yeah, definitely a good performance from Brighton. They beat Chelsea on XG. Um, and, and Lamptey looked really good once again. I mean, that guy, he, he moved away from Chelsea to get game time, and it's worked out in spades for him. Uh, incredible. I'm sure he's going to get a move back to a top club very soon and actually start there because he completely deserves it. Um, well, I mean, we can move he, was, on to- he, was in, he was injured for a very long time, so it's good to see him back and, you know, still at a, at a high level. The fact of the matter is that, you know, he, he will start every game for Brighton. Should he stay fit for the rest of the season? Um, you know, he, he just came back from, I think it was, I forget what it was. It might've been an ACL, but it, he, he's been out for a long time. So yeah, really good to see him back. You're right. Fantastic player. Absolutely. And then we can move on to what was undoubtedly the most exciting uh, match this week, which was Spurs against Leicester city. Uh, at the King Power Stadium. It was uh, Pat Sindaka opening the scoring for Leicester City. Harry Kane finally starting to get in form to level it uh, before halftime. Then it was James Madison uh, in the 78th, 76th minute, excuse me. And it, it looked like, you know, should, 
Leicester City were going to find a way to snatch this game, even though Tottenham were clearly the better side throughout the game. Yeah. No doubts about that. Uh, absolutely. But Steven Bergvine had other thoughts, didn't he? 90 plus 5, 90 plus unreal. 7. He, unreal is as perfect as you can describe it because, I mean, two goals in the last two minutes of the game I'm to, to win it at, away at the King Power. I mean, what a game. That is as exciting as it gets. Yeah, I mean, it was 2-1, and I just assumed the game was over. There was like 12 seconds left of the originally allocated five minutes of stoppage time. So I scrolled over to Twitter just to see what was going on, and Twitter ruined the fact that Bergvine scored the equalizer. It's like, oh, shoot, I should <laughs> go back over to the game. I saw that goal go in, and then I was like, okay, well, let's see what happens here. And then I could not believe my eyes when Harry Kane plays a beautiful through ball for Bergvine to get in again, goes around the keeper, in off the post. Uh, did you see Soyuncu like tried to throw it out with his hand back when he was like running into the goal, and then it, it had gone over the line, but he tried like scooping it out, you know, hoping he could tried take to pull a Luis Suarez, precisely trying to pull a Luis Suarez. But no, it was over the line, and just an astonishing, astonishing, astonishing finish to this game. I could not believe what I was watching. Um, Speaking of Soyuncu, that that picture of him. Uh, standing over Bergvine before Bergvine then scored the two winners uh, against him. That that is classic. That that's that should go straight on one of those images that precede unfortunate events Twitter accounts. Yeah, I'm sure it's up there already. It's f- great to see, and it's just it's just funny when you, that's what you get. It's called karma, Kaglar Sonchu. You learn about it now. Yeah, and also it is karma because Tottenham deserved to win this game. They really did. They were the better team, as you said. And you look at the stats here, um, or like on XG, 4.56 for Tottenham, 1.88 for Leicester. So, you know, Leicester got about what they deserved in terms of two goals, but but Spurs had a lot of opportunities. Kane, I remember, missed a wide-open header, put it off the bar. Um but 27 shots, 10 on target for Spurs. They were just creating so many opportunities going forward. Um, and I'm sure Soyuncu himself is part of that because, you know, he's been really poor as of late. Um, you know, during that 2019-20 season and during Project Restart, he was, he was playing, you know, he was really, really good. And he was part of why Leicester were challenging for the top four until they inevitably bottled it on the last two <laughs> game weeks of those two seasons, right? But, um, man, he's not what he used to be. And Spurs took advantage, and eventually, eventually, it paid off. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it kept Spurs in that top four race uh, on 36 points in seventh right now. Uh, still, you know, the teams ahead of them have, have a game or two in hand. Uh, so we'll see. But Conte Spurs starting to look, look good. And then it was Manchester United beating Brentford 3-1 at the Brentford Community Stadium. Uh, Langa, Greenwood, and Rashford on the score sheet. And then, of course, Tony, as you would expect for Brentford, um, just with a garbage goal, really, in the 86th minute, didn't mean much. Had to, had to ruin our De Gea clean sheets, right? <laughs> yeah, but, um, yeah, I mean, this, the, the thing about this game is, is Brentford were, were so good. They were, they, were be- they were the better side throughout the entire game, especially in that first half, weren't they? Uh, Thomas Frank said it after the game. He was uh, extremely pleased with the first half, except for the fact that they weren't able to find the back of the net because they they were dominant uh, against Manchester United. And 
even throughout the game. I mean, it showed on XG. They they beat them nearly three to two on XG and, and lost the game three one. So a little bit unfair to Brentford in this one, probably. But Manchester United much more clinical uh, with their shots because they only had 13 with five of them on target and they scored three of those. Meanwhile, Brentford are having 18 shots, half of those on target, and can only put one in the back of the net. Yeah, I mean, the first half was De Gea saving Brentford or saving United, really, and robbing Brentford um, had a couple really big saves, but at the same time, um, yeah, clinicality was the story of this game because some there were a lot of chances as well that Bre- Bre- Brentford rather had in the first half that they put right at De Gea. He had you know some of the easiest kick saves that you'll see because you know De Gea that's that's kind of his trademark, right? Is those kick saves, and there were there were some one. that were just there were just some opportunities, big opportunities that Brentford put right at his legs, and he's gonna save those. That's that's the last place I would put it if I'm shooting on De Gea. But um yeah, United, you know, they took advantage of just a lot of space left with Brentford pushing up. Brentford weren't scared of United, especially after that first half. They said, you know, we can beat this team. Like we we should be beating this team right now. But they weren't. They pushed forward and United caught him on the counter. Um Anthony Alonga with I believe his first Premier League goal um t- t- took down a cross and then it like bobbled up on him and he headed it. Um, pass Jonas Lossel, which was kind of funny. And then the second one was just um, Bruno going down the wing and passing it to Greenwood for a tap in. And then, uh, you know, I, as much as obviously you don't like seeing Rashford back on the score sheet, I thought it was good to see him back on the score sheet. Quality player um, and, and a quality human being, as we know. So um, I, I don't mind him hopefully coming back to form. And we saw later on um, in the week that. Uh, he would get on the score sheet again, Justin, but we'll talk about that a little later. Yeah, and then we can move on to the actual games of match day 23. Those were those all the other ones were uh, makeups, um, which was a relegation six-pointer, which I know both of us will be very happy to talk about because it was Josh Sargent pulling Norwich out of the relegation zone single-handedly, basically, uh, scoring his first two Premier League goals. It is his first brace in uh, the top five leagues. And that first goal was absolutely unbelievable. Back heel, ball was behind him, and he found a way uh, to put it past Backman. I mean, what a finish that one was. Already been dubbed the St. Louis Scorpion, Justin. Not sure if you've seen that, but that's what uh, men in blazers have dubbed it as. So that's what I'm referring to it as from now on. I mean, yeah, Pookie wins the ball. Um, he, he made a challenge, and I forget which Watford defender it was, but he went down way too easy. Ball stays in. Pookie picks it up on the on the uh, end line, crosses it for Sargent, and it's behind him. And it's really the only thing that Sargent can do. Like, there's no other way for him to get that ball on target let alone in the goal, um, and it's off the bar, just over the line, um, just unreal. Bachman is kind of just staring at it like there's no way that just happened. Um, and then, you know, goal line technology confirms that it did go over the line, and it's just a brilliant goal from Josh Sargent. What a way to open your account, and, you know, what a huge three points, another huge three points for Norwich, right? They, they beat us, um, and, and now they beat, fellow relegation candidates Watford and they're in 17th Justin North City are out of the relegation zone right now granted Newcastle have one game in hand Watford have two games in hand and Burnley have four games in hand on them so I still expect that once those games are made up Norwich will probably be in 18th or 19th Um, I, I think 
Newcastle particularly will probably be likely to, well, they only have one in hand. I feel like Burnley, they have four. They're probably going to lose most of them. So we'll see. But, you know, there is hope for Norwich City, which is something we haven't been able to say for a long time. Absolutely, absolutely. And then, yeah, Sargent's second was a, a really nice, powerful header from Rashik Sakross uh, t- yeah. to, to get his brace. And then it was uh, Juraj Kuka, if I pronounced that correctly. Uh, Kuchka, I believe goal. it is. Thank you. Uh, after, after the uh, Bonaventura red card. So a massive, massive win here for Norwich, as, as we've said. But it, the story has to be Josh Sargent, and we love it as U.S. fans. He did not get the call up uh, for the these next World Cup qualifiers uh, in this January end of end of January, early February window. Um, but he, he's showing why he deserves to to get that call up next time. I will say, I loved seeing Sargent score. I did not love seeing. Emmanuel Dennis Bonaventura gets sent off because he was my captain on FPL. So that backfired massively. Yeah. Yeah. That uh, most people have him in FPL. I don't think uh, anybody was happy about that one. At the same time, looking at the, I didn't actually realize this was kind of a smash and grab Justin real quick. I didn't see these stats. I watched the game, but 15 shots to seven for Watford, four shots on target to two. Watford had 69% possession in this game, and it's not like Norwich were protecting the lead for that long. You know, they got it at the beginning of the second half, but that, that's interesting. Um, I guess yeah, it's just absolutely. Josh Sargent being clinical, isn't it? I mean, yeah, I'm, he has to have practiced that, right? There's no way he just uh, did that with instinct because that, that's just unbelievable to be able to bend your knee like that, your ankle, uh, and put it in the back of the net. Um, but yeah, fantastic for, for Norwich and happy to have it be Sargent. And we can move on to your game, Garrett. Uh, a 1-0. Uh, <laughs> uh, it was, it was Luca Dean's return to Goodison Park. He, I don't know if he was credited with the assist, but it came off of his corner uh, that Emmy yeah, Buendia was. was a, yeah, that, that Emmy Buendia was able to uh, put it in the back of the net right before halftime. And that was, that ended up being the only goal of the game. Uh, at, at, to send Everton even deeper into the spiral. Yeah, I mean, it, it was a good cross, and then Buendia just kind of unmarked at the front post, and he flicks it. It's honestly extremely, a very extremely impressive uh, header hit that he was able from that angle to flick it up into the top bins. Pickford just barely got a little finger on it, and Townsend was on the line, but it went over his head and into, you know, about as far into the upper 90 as possible. Had to put that in there, sorry. I couldn't resist. Um, but, I mean, I, I honestly didn't think we played poorly at all. And I, don't, I, I really don't think we deserved to lose this game. Um, we had a lot of chances that we just didn't convert properly. Um, the first half, we were, we were pretty woeful, to be fair. We did not register any XG. It was 0.00 for us and 0.91 to Villa. So it, we deserved to be down. 1-0 at halftime, but Justin, we ended the game with 1.6 XG, all of which came in the second half, and Villa had pretty much nothing else going, and we, we were all over them in the second half, but Calvert-Lewin had a chance that he missed, Amari Gray had a chance that he missed. Um, you know, it, it, it's unlucky, unlucky, it's really frustrating, um, you know, to lose another game. I believe that's now six points from 42, one win in 14, which is just unreal. It's so bad. Um, so, 
you know, I, I still think Duncan Ferguson is the correct appointment for interim manager. I still honestly wouldn't even mind him being given the rest of the season because we still showed more fight in that game than we have in any other game, you know, in the past, in those past 14 games, really, other than that one Arsenal um, victory, which is kind of looking like a fluke at the moment, even though I do think we deserved it. But I don't know. That's, it's just a, it's a tough result to swallow. It really is. Absolutely. And on that uh, topic of manager, we've seen a few um, uh, names in the, in the rumors for Everton. Uh, who, who are you looking at as an Evertonian? Who do, would you want to see appointed? I know there's a lot of uh, issues and, and turmoil with Moshiri appointing the wrong guy and being a little bit of a knee-jerk appointments often. So what are your thoughts on that? Personally, I want Wayne Rooney. And here's why. One, he understands the club. And as much as that's, you know, a dumb cliche, I do genuinely think it's important um, because we can't just have some outside manager who doesn't really care about the club as a whole and, and what happens to it in the long term, um, especially as we're going through this crisis. Um, and, you know, the club is so poorly run, but Rooney is used to that because Darby are even, you know, they're run even worse than we are, which is um, kind of hard to believe, but it's true. He's losing players left, right, and center. He's dealing with a point deduction. He's still almost gotten Darby out of the relegation zone despite having a, a probably League One caliber squad at the moment. He's doing an unreal job, and, and he's been overcoming all of the crazy adversity that's being thrown at him. Um, and he's a boyhood Evertonian. Um, as he said himself, wore Everton pajamas while he played for United. So... I think Rooney is the guy for me, but no matter what, I, I want that appointment not to be made knee jerk, you know, within the next week or anything like that. In an ideal world, a director of football should be appointed and then they should make the managerial hire. But I know that that's not going to happen. Um, so for me, out of the options who have been, you know, thrown out there as real possibilities and that have gotten interviews, it's got to be Wayne Rooney. Yep, definitely not an ideal world uh, at Everton right now. Uh, it's not an ideal world for Brentford either right now. We can move to their game where they again won on XG, but again lost the game, this time to Wolves. Uh, Jean Moutinho and Ruben Neves, the two star midfielders for Wolves, getting on the score sheet. Um, it, it was Ivan Tony, of course, again on the Brentford score sheet, but Wolves scored those two goals on only 025 expected goals so a quarter of a goal they're expected to score and they score two very clinical uh from them they only had those two shots on target and put them both in the back of the net granted Brentford only had one shot on target but 11 shots so higher xg but uh yeah, yeah just more failure it's this yeah it's the same problem as the united game they weren't clinical and they got punished for it because wolves have you know, they have quality, you'd say, in the midfield more than anywhere else, right? So the Moutinho, the Moutinho goal was just kind of like a snapshot um, into the left corner, and, and Losel didn't really move. But, you know, to be honest, it wasn't even really that far in the corner. Like, it was definitely savable. And then the Ruben Neves shot was certainly savable because Losel got a hand to it but just couldn't keep it out. It was a good finish, but, uh, you know, I think if that's um, – if that's a higher quality goalkeeper, you know, you could see potentially neither of those going in. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, 0.25 is pretty low, right? So they, they weren't even that great uh, opportunities, uh, but wolves, I mean, 
looking good. Similar to how we were saying about Brighton, shocking some people, having a really good season. Uh, Bruno Lodge has been an amazing appointment. Obviously, Jose saw arguably goalkeeper of the season conversation. It, it has looked really good. I mean, you thought that it was it was going to be hard to replace Nuno and Patricio, but they've replaced them in spades and, and had the even better. Yeah, I mean, they started the season really rough, and we've been talking about that, but it's now this is now four wins in the last five, Justin, and the only one they didn't win was a draw. So, um, yeah, they're picking up a lot of points. They're now on 34 in eighth place, just uh, two behind Arsenal with the same amount of games played. Um, so they're having a really, really good season, and should some of these you know, West Ham, Arsenal, Spurs, teams kind of start slipping up a bit you know wolves are definitely going to be they're definitely going to be in a shout for europe potentially even um top six yep absolutely they they want to get back into europe after falling out of it right but um we can then move to uh the team that or or the the newcastle in another uh relegation uh, game right, whether we want to call it a six pointer or not, because Leeds are a little bit above that that zone right now. Uh, but it, Newcastle with a big win, it was John Joe Shelby from the free kick, uh, a little bit unsighted probably. Melier, there was a lot of uh, it's in, poor goalkeeping. It probably, I mean, he should save it, but he trying to give him the benefit of the doubt. I bet he was it was hard to see. There were a lot of uh, commotion in the box. Obviously, it was from a free kick, uh, and and yeah, he just. Put it, John Joe Shelby just put it in the opposite corner, bottom corner, and Melier didn't get there. Yeah, I, I personally just I, I think you have to expect your keeper to save that. Um, like it wasn't even it's it wasn't even that far in the corner, and it's at his near side. Like yeah, there's bodies, but he's got to save that because he yeah he reacted late, but his hand was there, and he just didn't save it. So you know I think that's it's tough for Leeds. Um, they had so much of the ball, 63% possession, but they only had one more shot on target. Um, obviously, the free kick counts as that. They just weren't clinical enough. It's not the first time we've said that about Leeds, is it? But it's it's a big loss for them because, you know, you say kind of a six-pointer, not exactly, but it definitely kind of ropes Leeds back into it. If they had won this game, you know, they'd be pretty comfortably clear of the bottom, um, and also they wouldn't be handing a, another relegation candidate three points um obviously yeah leads i'm not super concerned about them um at the moment i'm not but you know we don't we'd be a lot less concerned if they hadn't just lost to newcastle and the fact that they lost to newcastle at home is not a great sign for you know them they got those two wins in a row if they're falling back into a really poor form they could see themselves right back in that relegation battle pretty soon yeah, especially after coming off that uh, big win against West Ham through that Jack Harrison hat trick, right? They looked looked like yeah. they could pick it up maybe. And we can move on to West Ham with that. Uh, they did not play well again this time. It was against Manchester United uh, and uh, at Old Trafford. But it, they didn't play well, but they almost had the chance. They had a chance to find a point, uh, but it was Marcus Rashford, as you said earlier, as you alluded to, in the 93rd minute in stoppage time, rescuing Manchester United. There was a little bit of talk about whether it was onside or not. VAR had a check, but it, it looked onside um, just barely, and it got the tap in. Mar- Martial, by the way, with the second assist on the goal and uh, a little hockey assist there, and he then got shipped off to Sevilla very quickly. 
Yeah, I mean, it's a big, big win for United because you look at the table now, they're back up into fourth place on 38 points. West Ham, as we said, lost their last two now, including that one against United. I mean, this is a six-pointer for a Champions League spot, and so it's a big win for them. And then, you know, as you said, Arsenal... Um, we ha- we haven't covered them quite yet, but they also have been dropping points. And then Spurs lost to Chelsea, which we'll talk about. So um, results have really gone United's way this week. And them picking up a win in that six-pointer against West Ham at the death, it's, it's a really, really big win for them. Absolutely, it is. I hate to say it, but it is. <laughs> we can move uh, from, from them to my team. We finally didn't win a game. Uh, which, you know, we were on that 12-game winning streak, but had to drop points eventually. Everyone knew it would happen. This was the game. It was Southampton. Uh, I mean, there's a definitely talk about this one. I mean, I think we should have won the game, right? We had the chances to win the game, but I think that Southampton deserve a lot of more credit than they seem to be getting, uh, in my opinion. They played a really, really good game. Obviously, their first goal from Kyle Walker-Peters, uh, a, a great finish off of a great yeah. team move. Uh, the ball was moving around. It scored a, a Manchester City goal against Manchester City almost, right? I mean, very, very good team movement. And their counterattacking uh, was there throughout the game. Uh, early in the second half, they had some great chances again. but And then Manchester City started taking over later in that second half, uh, which allowed Emmerich Laporte to score from... Uh, Kevin De Bruyne, a free kick, just a peach of a ball once again, as you would expect from uh, a, a great free kick taker in Kevin De Bruyne, a great crosser. But, I mean, 20 shots for Manchester City and we're only able to score one goal. So definitely not clinical. But I think that, yeah, Southampton played very well, in my opinion. There was definitely, you know, could have been a red card, could have been a penalty, uh, in my opinion, I don't understand the penalty call because they're calling it a foul, but they're saying it's outside the box when he's standing on the line. If it's a foul, it's a penalty. If it's not a foul, I'll give you that. Um, but if you're going to call it a foul, then it's in the box, no doubt for me. Uh, the red, I think it was a red. I mean, that's that's the studs into the thigh. But I, I get that we don't want to give reds as much, but I don't know. Both of them seemed that they should have been given, in my opinion. But regardless of those two calls, Manchester City probably should have found a way I just meant Southampton were really stout in defense the entire game. Yeah, and they, you know, you need to have moments of kind of extraordinary quality if you want to get something out of any game against City. And that finish from Walker Peters on the outside of the foot is just, you know, lovely. Ederson had no chance on that. Um, and yeah, I think despite some questionable refereeing, you know, it's still a relatively disappointing performance from City because you'd think they'd have more than enough to, to find that second goal. But unfortunately, they just didn't because um, they're human. And, you know, it, finally, something doesn't go their way. So um, is the title race back on? Uh, probably not. Um, it's so funny. City dropped points for once and everyone's like, title race back on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Liverpool have a game in hand, so we'll see how that goes. That you know, if they win that, cut it to a six-point lead. That's not insurmountable, but um, City will definitely have to keep uh, putting in performances like this and dropping more points. Obviously. Yeah, definitely. I think six points definitely not insurmountable. I guess we can we can call that a title race uh, once it, once they can get there if they can get there. Um, but keep yeah, it interesting. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. 
Um, and with that, we can move on to the Liverpool game and, and to the goal you were alluding to earlier, Virgil van Dijk yeah. in the eighth minute. I mean, completely free header, no marking at all. On There's no uh, one even near him. Absolutely like, it's like not. He might as well have been the only player in the box because there was like, it's just atrocious marking. That's, you know, one of the last people you want to leave unmarked for a header in the box because you know that he will punish you. Van Dyke has been very good from headers in the past, and he made no mistake on this one. He really thundered it in, into the back of the net. Um, so, yeah, it was a, a perfect start for Liverpool, and then they made it too. Um, a really nice ball from Andy Robertson over the top. Uh, Alex Oxley-Chamberlain chests it down and finishes into the far corner. Um, yeah, but Palace pulled one back, Justin. It was Odson Edouard, who, you know, I think has been a good signing. Um, maybe hasn't quite reached the heights that we've been hoping for, but he's kind of been in and out of the side a bit. But, you know, he has quality and he gets on the score sheet. And I think that's uh, two consecutive games he's scored in now. Um, it wouldn't be enough. And then, Justin, we just have to talk about yep. how disgraceful this penalty decision was in the 89th minute. Um, it was Diogo Jota, who after a ridiculous ball from Trent, must I say, like insane ball over the top, Jota touches it down, kind of loses control, and then instead of going to get the ball, he, he runs into Vicente Guaita, and then after VAR, they give it as a penalty. It's like, wait, what? He, ran, he did not go towards the ball. He decided to run into the goalie instead, and then that draws a penalty. It's just a baffling decision. And I was talking to one of my friends who is a cop, I, and even he said, yeah, that was a joke. I can't believe that was awarded. Um, and it's not like it was like awarded on the pitch and then overturned or anything, or they said, oh, inconclusive evidence. VAR overturned this and made it a penalty. Like, it's I how? Yeah, I think I think that was the key, as you say. He he wasn't running towards the ball; he ran towards the keeper so that he could run into him. If if uh, Guaita was in the way between him and the ball, maybe he would give a penalty there. But not when he's ru- not even running towards the ball; he's ru- changed direction uh, just to yeah, try look, and run into the keeper. You, you can see him look. You can look. You can see him look at Guaita. Like he looks at the ball. He realizes I'm not going to get to it. He turns his head, looks at Guaita, and then runs into him and gets a penalty. It's a disgrace. Yeah, as you say, the Liverpool fullback shining again. Robertson with uh, two assists on those first two goals, and then yeah, as you say, that that ball from Trent was incredible. Uh, speaking of incredible balls, I mean, what a ball it was from Jeffrey Schlupp through to Matata, who slid it in for Edward for a tap in. But that that ball was fantastic as well. Uh, it, and again, we've said it multiple times this episode. It's another game where the losing team won on XG. Uh, Palace with 1.82 to Liverpool's 1.48. Uh, I didn't just, even realize that. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, difficult. I mean, only eight shots, five of them on target, though, right? Uh, Liverpool still beating them in both those categories, but the chances that Crystal Palace had were uh, superior, and, and they weren't able to find a way besides that well-constructed goal. Uh, for uh, it's Odson Edward. And now we can move on, Justin, to the Emirates where Arsenal dropped uh, two big points against Burnley, who are kind of comfortably the worst team in the league right now. Um, I mean, 20 shots, five on target, 76% possession, and they just could not find a goal. At least they didn't concede. Um, you know, Burnley had one shot on target. 24% possession. They did have 10 shots, though, which is surprisingly a lot, to be honest, considering 
just how poor this Burnley team is. I mean, you look at this starting lineup and I just, I don't see any chance of them surviving, to be honest. Like I think Norwich and Watford and Newcastle all have significantly more quality in, in their team, um, especially with Chris Wood leaving Burnley and going to Newcastle, obviously. Um, but, you know, it, it's poor from Arsenal that they were unable to win this game. Um, I, I didn't watch it, but my friend who is a gunner told me that Lacazette missed a wide open net. Um, so that probably should have been the winner. But, you know, it's a, it's a good point for Burnley try to gain some confidence. I still don't see them staying up whatsoever. Yeah, Dwight McDeal is the only real class player in that in that team. Maybe Pope uh, and the center backs you want to include if you're being generous. But but they've they've me and Tarkovsky have been they haven't really been the same, have they? No, they they really haven't. Um, but yeah, it was just Arsenal unable to finish. Uh, I, the fans are getting a little bit restless. Uh, it seems again with Arteta. So we'll see what happens uh, with that one. And then we can go to uh, Leicester City against Brighton at again at the KP again. Pats and Daka opening the scoring in the 46th minute uh, to put Leicester up one nil. And it, you know they were pretty pretty controlling throughout the game, not on possession, but they uh, they looked like they were going to find a way to to f- get the win. And then it was Danny Welbeck with uh, another banging header uh, to, to to level the game and take a point for Brighton from the King Power. Yeah, it, it was a great header. It was a good cross from Neil Maupai, um, becoming the provider. And then Welbeck just powers it in at the near post. Schmeichel, not a ton he could do about it. Yeah, really, really good finish from Danny Welbeck, kind of rolling back the years there. Um, and, and Bright managed to snag a point here. Um, it's another draw for them, and it's but it's more dropped points from a winning position um, for Leicester, which they've been doing all year. And and. Brendan Rodgers really needs to figure out a way for them to hold on to leads or he's not going to be in a job for much longer. Yep. Yeah. That's, that's a very good point. I mean, 10th place is just not good enough right now. They have a couple games in hand on, on Brighton who are four points clear of them now. Um, or I guess they already were if they, if they draw, but um, yeah, 10th is not good enough for Leicester. They have, too much quality and and honestly a lot of depth with the signings that they made this summer. Um, Rogers really needs to figure it out um, because I think that board and those fans will be demanding more after bottling top four, two seasons in a row. They won the FA cup last year and now they're sitting here in 10th below Brighton with a negative three goal difference. It's just not good enough. It really isn't. And then we can uh, go to what was, Supposed to be the, the best game, but you know of the of the week, it was the only game between the big six. Um, but it was Chelsea rolling again, beating Tottenham for the third time in almost two weeks. Uh, and I mean, the first goal, I mean, Hakim Ziyech, wow. I mean, first we have to say, you know, Kane did put one in the back of the net, but it was called off because of for a foul on Thiago Silva. He pushed him uh, down, so he had a pretty much open finish, but. Hakim Ziyech. I mean, this is why Chelsea bought him. He has, I've I've always said, I mean, I think he's a class player, but when you play a system with no wingers, it's, it's not going to benefit the wingers. Um, But I mean, what a finish. You could watch it over and over again, curling with the left foot into the top left corner. It was a 0.03 XG shot, meaning three out of a hundred times you score that goal. Hakim Ziyech was not worried about the statistics. What a goal. 
Yeah, I mean, they played a 4-3-3, Justin, for the first time in what feels like a long time. Tuchel realized, okay, well, that game against Brighton, you know, this didn't work. They weren't good enough going forward. He switches to a 4-3-3, and they were comfortably the better team in this game. Um, and yeah, that's the quality that Ziyech possesses, and that's why they purchased him. It's just he has not been anywhere near consistent enough. Um, we know he has the ability to do things like this. He just doesn't show it on a consistent enough basis. Um, but yeah, in, incredible, incredible finish, as you said, into that top corner. Hugo Lloris just rooted to the spot. Yep, and then it was Mason Mount assisting uh, Thiago Silva to make it two and, and put the game away in the 55th minute for, for Chelsea. And yeah, just rolling to another win over Spurs looking very good. I mean, they are finally se- seem to get maybe a little bit back and forth. Obviously they lost city, but kind of expect that at this point in my opinion. And um, yes, it's comfortably in that third spot, right? Because they are well ahead of Manchester United. Uh, although Manchester United have, you know, two games in hand, but nine points up at Chelsea are so impossible to catch even with those two games in hand. And then Liverpool who are in front of them on 48 points to 47 also have two games in hand. So pretty comfortable in that third spot, it seems for Chelsea. Yeah. It, it does seem possible that they won't move for the rest of the season. They'll, they'll stay in that third spot, which I think will be very disappointing for them. Um, I, I think it's going to be interesting with Roman Abramovich. We know that he is does not hesitate to pull the trigger if he doesn't like what's going on. So um, it would be kind of a classic Abramovich move to to fire the manager that won you the Champions League six months ago. Um, so we'll see if you know Chelsea, you know if United did somehow catch them and they drop into that fourth position. You know, Tuchel should definitely should not feel too comfortable. I don't think anyone should be manager of Chelsea and ever feel comfortable. So, um, speaking of managers not feeling comfortable, uh, it 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 was Watford who love sacking a manager, don't they? Right. They sacked Claudio Ranieri. Uh, it looks as if they're going to appoint Roy Hodgson at this point, which is just another manager who it seems like might get sacked pretty quickly as well, in my opinion. Uh, but th- that is the Watford way, isn't it? I mean, let this leads us right into our questions, Justin, because that's um, all of the Premier Perfect League pictures for us to cover. Um, at MCFC Trooper says, thoughts on Watford sacking Ranieri? Um, I honestly think it was warranted. Uh, they lost 3-0 to Norwich at home. That's a sackable offense, right? <laughs> it, 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 it really is. I don't care if you're also in the relegation battle. Benitez was sacked after a similar thing. Yeah, I mean, 2-1 on the road, a little bit different. 3-0 at home, that is like pretty much as embarrassing as it gets. Watford have been dreadful under Ranieri. Um, I, I, I can't even remember the last time that they won. It's been a long time. Um, so I, I honestly think for once, Watford were, you know, it, I understand justified. why they sacked him. Uh, yeah, they were justified. That's the word I'm looking for. Uh, do I think they were justified in appointing Ranieri in the first place? No. Um, I don't <laughs> think that was a good decision. I, I, I never did. Um, you know, so it's kind of just them cleaning up their own mess um, a little bit. Roy Hodgson as an appointment, I just don't get why. Why is he going there? What does he have to gain from that? I, like it doesn't make any sense to me. I I was you know thought he would be done. He's just gonna go to a club 
that are playing horribly, that are firmly in the relegation zone, and he has zero job security because it's Watford. Like, what manager in their right mind, especially one who's like, you know, 76 years old or whatever Roy Hodgson is, takes this Watford job right now? I don't understand it whatsoever. Yeah, it, it seems like a weird move to me. Uh, I don't really know what it is, but we can move on to another question about a manager. This one's from Cole World. Do you see Pep staying for a few more years or do you think he's leaving soon? So right now, of course, he's contracted through next season and that's what he said he'll probably leave in. But he loves Manchester City. He loves uh, the the environment and the freedom that he's giving, the backing that he's given financially, of course. Uh, and it's the longest job he's been in as a manager. So you never really know, in my opinion. I think that the reports have come out recently that, you know, the, the, the Man City board believe they have a chance at convincing him and they're not worried about letting his contract run close because they, they have a lot of trust in each other. But yeah, it, I think that it's possible he'll, you can get him for one or two more years, but I, like maybe that's just me being hopeful, right? Because I obviously want him to stay as long as possible. I mean, Justin, as much as you might want to say that this doesn't impact it, um, I think the Champions League is going to have a big impact because if City don't win the Champions League under Pep Guardiola, there's no way he doesn't feel that he doesn't have unfinished business, if if you get what I'm trying to say there. Right, Um, absolutely. If City win the Champions League either this season or next season, I think he might say, okay, cool, my job here is done. Um, and we know that he wants to manage an international team and, and manage in the World Cup. He said that he wants to do that, and I think he will. Um, it, it, to me, it's just, okay, well, will he have accomplished everything at City that there is to accomplish? Um, and if you guys don't win the Champions League, then the answer is clearly no. So um, that's kind of my thoughts. Uh, that means it'll be kind of a, 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 if I'm correct, it'll be a lose-lose situation for you, Justin. Either... You uh, lose the champion. You don't win the Champions League, or you lose Pep. But at the same time, you could say it's a win-win. If you don't win the Champions League, you keep Pep, and if you win the Champions League, you win the Champions League. So, yeah, that's that's fair argument. I I completely get that. I I always just wonder what cl- country he wants to coach because you would think maybe Spain, but it probably not. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, he has the Catalan connections, and they have the. Well, there's a lot of you know turmoil there, so I, I don't know. But we'll we'll see. I, I think yeah, I, maybe I'm just hopeful that he'll stay. But I think your your Champions League argument is definitely valid. Uh, we have two more questions about uh, some some city players. First from KDB enthusiasm. You can guess who this question is going to be about. Uh, well, it's more of a statement, really. KDB is the best statement in the is the best midfielder in the world. Excuse me, this season after Bernardo. So you know, very uh, pro-city statement there. Garrett, what are your thoughts on that statement? Do you agree, disagree? Um, I mean, I think there's definitely a few names that need to be in the conversation. I don't know if I've watched enough of other leagues to, to really make a definitive statement. I think KDB and Bernardo have definitely been two standout midfielders in the Premier League, but I think um, Luka Modric, from what I've seen of Madrid this season, has been rolling back the years, and we know that he's just – a generational player, you know, won the Ballon d'Or from center mid. You don't see that happen very often. 
um, incredible player, and he's been playing so, so well for Madrid, and, and it looks like they're probably going to walk away with La Liga um, thanks to him, uh, you know, a large part of it, him, him and obviously Karim Benzema, who's, you know, one of the most underrated strikers probably of all time. So I think you got to throw Modric in there. And then, Justin, uh, the other name I'd throw in there is Joshua Kimmich just because, um, you know, Bayern, obviously we know, are, are so dominant in Germany. But Kimmich himself, he's just so versatile, a man of many talents. He can do anything that you ask him to do. He's the Kyle Juszczyk of, of footy, if you will. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I had to do it. I know you did. Uh, he's a little bit excited about his 49ers being in the NFC Championship, as you can tell. But, yeah, I mean, I, I have to agree with those names. I mean, you have to – Bruno Fernandez, his, his stats will always put him in there. Whether he's actually playing the best is a different question maybe. But, yeah, his stats will always put him in that conversation. And then, yeah, if you're talking about Kimmich and defensive mids, I mean, I, maybe City bias, but Rodri has been fantastic, especially to start this season. I mean, he's been really, really top class uh, defensive mid, showing why uh, Pep was so eager to buy him. So, yeah, he looking really good. So, I mean, th- those are three City players and probably the top, you know, 10 at least midfielders in the world this season. So explains why City are playing so, so well. And on that topic of, of city midfielders, uh, a question from Miss Fermo is, who do you think would be the f- perfect Fernandinho replacement? He says, in my opinion, I think uh, Arlen Chuameni, I think I can pronounce that yeah. correctly, you can, uh, is a perfect replacement in his opinion. Um, for me, I'll, I'll just tell you, I mean, Rodri is the replacement, first of all. So I, I don't really think that, that there needs to be much question about that right now. I mean, that's what he was bought for. He's been trained for that position. He's been brought up with Fernandinho. Obviously, this question comes because Fernandinho is leaving at the end of the season. Um, it, it looks like he will join the coaching staff, which would be great. But uh, well, That's I cool. Think, I didn't know that. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, it's not confirmed, obviously, but there have been rumors about it. So Pull the Danes. Right, right. Hopefully it'll happen. Um, but yeah, Def or, or, or Chris Wondolowski, right? Uh, he's not in the coaching staff. He's in the front office, isn't he? But Te- technically, um, Baines started like when he retired was like a player develop. He was in some player development position, but um, he's uh, Duncan Ferguson's number two at the moment. So um, that's pretty cool. In terms of Chuameni, I I think he's a little bit more of of a box to box type more than, you know, a kind of sitting midfielder. Obviously, you want someone who has good progressive passing and, and can move the ball forward um, from defense into attack, right? Um, I just don't know. I don't know. I think Chuameni, I, I don't see him going to City. I, I see him ending up somewhere else. He re- kind of reminds me, you know, and this is obviously just kind of a France comparison, but he kind of reminds me a bit more of Pogba than of, like, you know, a Fernandinho type. So, um, really Pogba's quality pretty player. attacking, though. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, but yeah, but it, he has kind of a similar build, and he's more like you know a, a dribbler who progresses the ball, you know, not from like a deeper like CDM. Like he's not going to be someone who's making a whole bunch of tackles and then progressing it forward. He's more of a midfielder that you kind of cycle through, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, and I also I, I also have to agree with uh, our constant contributor uh, Cityzilla. His response to this question, which he said, "I really want to give Lavia a chance." Uh, of course, referring to Romeo Lavia, who has come through the City Academy, he's a center defensive mid, and he is. I mean, he's he's been great. 
from what we've seen of him, which hasn't been, you know, a ton, but we've seen him in some cup games and, you know, obviously for, for youth teams, but yeah, I agree with the statement. I mean, you got to give this guy a chance, especially if you want this city wants their Academy to be a top Academy in the world, right? They've modeled it after La Masia. Uh, obviously it's a lofty comparison, but that's what they've modeled it after and want to produce these players as Phil Foden has been the first one, right? There's uh, many more coming through Tommy Doyle, Cole Palmer, uh, Lavia himself, um, Liam DeLapp, who, who city are refusing to send out on loan because they want to involve him in first team activities. So I agree with that. I mean, you have Rodri, you give Lavia a chance, maybe you buy somebody else. Um, but I think that, Rodri in the short term and Lavia in the long term should be those replacements. Uh, hopefully, if Lavia can, you know, live up to what he his potential. All right, Justin. One last city question. Your followers coming out in full force every week. <laughs> um, this one comes from Chris at Football de Amor, and he says, "Do you think Thiago Silva would fit into this current Manchester City Manchester City team?" Justin, there's a one word answer for this. Hit me. No. Cool. Moving on. <laughs> I, I will say, if, if you don't follow Chris, I, I would give him a follow. He posts co- constantly great threads. He's, uh, he loves the thread, and he, he is very consistent with them. So I think he's a great uh, account to follow there. But, yeah, the answer is simply no. All right, Justin, let's talk a little bit about World Cup qualifiers, which we have coming up, and we have a couple questions that will be what we will be talking about next week with a special guest who we will announce at a later date. Um, so we'll start with Cityzilla, and, and he comes straight at us with the biggest game, at least for the USMNT, in uh, this window, which is our game against Canada on Sunday, and he asked what our predictions are for that game. My prediction is going to be a 2-0 USA win. Uh, I think that it'll be – I just – I like that it'll be – I think it'll be – obviously it's away, right? So that's going to be more difficult. But the U.S. is, is currently training in the snow uh, for, for their game against uh, El Salvador, who will – I mean, I think will uh, have struggle struggle with that, you know. Uh, environment is the word I'm looking for. And then, um, but yeah, I think, I just think that city, uh, city, look at me confusing the teams that I love. You, uh, <laughs> U.S. I think the U S will uh, find a way to, to do this because I just think that we must, because we want that number one spot in, in the CONCACAF qualifiers, right? We want to be at the top and put us in uh, the top pot, whatever we can get in for the world cup. Uh, so that's what I'm looking for. What are you, what are you thinking? Yeah. I mean, I, I think the U S should win this game. Um, especially when you consider the fact that Alfonso Davis will, will not be playing in this Fonzie will not be playing. Um, obviously we, we hope the best for him, um, having some heart issue, I believe, um, which is, is keeping him out at the moment. So that's unfortunate. Obviously, we love watching Alfonso Davies play ever since his MLS days, a player that yep. we both really, really enjoy watching playing. But uh, luckily really? for the U.S., he will not be playing in this game, which gives us a much better chance to win because when you think about our previous meeting, Justin, uh, he had a lot to say in that game, didn't he? And, and he had a big impact on, on the final results. Um, because of his absence, I also think we will win. I think 2-0 t- is a pretty reasonable prediction. I'll probably back you on that one, Justin. Um, yeah, and, and a win 
would be huge um, for the U.S. here. I, I think it would almost virtually lock up, you know, kind of a top two spot. Obviously, we got Mexico and Panama. It's it's very tight, to be fair. But that's a this is a six pointer at the at the top, um, which you know, should the U.S. win, will put them in an extremely extremely good position to make sure that we're not repeating what happened in uh, the 2017 for 2018 World Cup qualifiers. I think a win here um, would put us in pretty much about the best position that we could ask to be in. Yeah, absolutely. Especially with the, we've had a few letdowns uh, in, in the World Cup qualifying so far where we should have gotten, you know, better results than were we, than we did get. Right. But uh, if we can find a way to get into that first spot and, and hold on to it, that's exactly what we need. Canada is sitting in that first spot right now, one point ahead of the U.S. national team. Uh, and then, they haven't lost. So this would be their first loss if we can hand it to them. Let's hope we can, right? Uh, we weren't able to do it on home soil, so hope we can. hopefully we can do it away. But, um, yeah, and then we can guess what gave us another question. I assume he's referring uh, to the CONCACAF when he asks us early World, early World Cup qualification predictions. Uh, he's a U.S. fan, so I assume he's referring to the CONCACAF. And, honestly, I have to be very simple. I think that the top four right now are going to be the four that qualify because that, there's a large gap between Panama and Costa Rica, and it would take a lot for Costa Rica to find a way uh, past Panama. And then those top three, I think, are pretty much locked. The order might change. Uh, hopefully, U.S. obviously in first, and and we'll see if if Mexico can find second or or Canada will uh, if the U.S. can can find that first spot. But I just don't see uh, anybody besides those top four qualifying. Correct me if I'm wrong, but the fourth fourth place goes into the playoff, right? I believe so. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, that's really like, yeah, the U S finishing first would be great, but we just don't want to finish fourth. We need to finish first, uh, second or third. Um, and, and cause that fourth spot, we don't want it to be up in the air. We don't want it to go to 90 minutes because anything can happen in 90 minutes as we know. Um, yeah. So just in pivoting and I agree with you, um, about the top four pivoting to the UEFA, um, world cup qualifiers. And this is our final question. It comes from Charlie, and he says, who out of the European playoffs will qualify for the World Cup? Um, obviously, there are three different paths, as they call it, which each have semifinals. One team advances. Um, the two biggest teams left here um, are Portugal and Italy, Justin, and they are in the same path, which means only one of them will qualify for the World Cup, or neither of them, but I, I doubt that will be the case. Um, so... Justin, who do you think we have not told each other who we think is going through? Let's start in path A. The teams are Wales, Austria, Scotland, and the Ukraine. Who are you going for here? Yeah, I think this is really the most toss-up uh, of the paths, in my opinion, because I think that Scotland will definitely get past Austria, in my opinion. And then those three are pretty similar uh, levels as far as the, the entire team looking around. And I... I We'll say I think Scotland will find a way. I think that it might be a little bit of shock to some people who would you know expect Wales in the past and Ukraine have started to uh, pick up some great players and starting to you know play well as a national team. But I think Scotland, I don't know why, I just have this feeling that they're going to find a way into the World Cup, uh, which they haven't been able to do in a while. 
Although, correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, Scotland are actually playing Ukraine first, Justin. Oh, yes, you're right there, Garrett. Uh, my mistake on that. They will be playing uh, Ukraine first, and, and Wales will be playing Austria. So I think it'll be, yeah, Scotland will end up facing Wales. Uh, it was just the weird way that UEFA listed it on their, on their website, it seemed. Uh, it, it threw me off. But, uh, yes, I think that it'll be uh, Scotland finding a win against Ukraine, although that, that's, that's the big one right there, in my opinion, because I would say Ukraine is second likely uh, to finish. And, and win path a so well, i think either one t- of those teams that wins that game will uh, advance to the world cup but i think uh, it will be scotland yeah um it, it, it is a, a really good question i, I think personally it's going to be the ukraine i i think i agree with you that the winner of that scotland ukraine game is probably the most likely to go through um, i think those are the two probably stronger teams at the moment um and so I'll, i'm just going to go with the ukraine but at the same time maybe i should be playing for scotland nathan patterson will uh, most likely be playing for them so uh maybe i should be picking scotland but just to play devil's advocate i'll go ukraine and i'll start us off for path b justin the teams are russia poland sweden and the czech republic this is actually quite a good one um obviously we know that russia had a really solid world cup campaign in 2018 when they were hosting um they will be playing poland in the first matchup and then it is sweden in the czech republic i'm gonna go for poland um wow and i i think that's probably ill-advised. That's probably ill-advised. But if there's a, if there's a, but there's a man player, who, who yeah. there's a single player that you could have on your team in, in, in these knockout games, it has to be Robert Lewandowski at the moment. Um, and, you know, Poland as a team and, and Lewandowski, there's been a lot of talk about him not being quite the same player on Poland. Obviously, the quality around him is not the same as the quality around him um, when he's playing for Bayern. But that being said, um, I just think he will have enough um, and Poland will have enough to, to get through path B. Um, so I'm going to go for Poland. Yeah, I think, well, I'll agree with you that I think Poland will find a way past Russia. Um, but I, I to, to, so that we don't have the same ones. And, and also I just think that Sweden, I think they're going to find a way. I mean, this team, what is my way second the option? Yeah, they find a way into the World Cup, and then they perform well in these in, in the World Cup. Generally, they always outperform their talent, in my opinion. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know how they do it. I just they they really perform in these games, and that's why I think they're going to find a way. I don't think Lewandowski can do everything for Poland because other than him, they don't have much. Um, but yeah, obviously, he could single handedly take them uh, past Sweden. So who knows? But I will go for Sweden there. Yeah, no, I mean, Sweden do have some good players, right? Forsberg, Alexander Isak, um, you know, so. Absolutely. And then we can move to the big one, uh, which is path C. It is the big one, right? Because we have both Italy and Portugal. I think we can, you know, skip the North Macedonia and Turkey because I mean, Turkey could find that upset. Well, of man, course, don't sleep but... on Turkey, bro. <laughs> Oh, man, that's what everybody said in the Euros, and how wrong were they? Yeah, that did not go well for them, did it? Yeah, North Macedonia performed better in the Euros than Turkey. Anyway, um, I I think that most people would agree that it will be Italy facing Portugal for a spot in the World Cup, which will be an absolutely mental game. But who, who do you think will find the win, Garrett? 
I'm going Italy, and and I'm not honestly. I'm pretty sure about it. Um, Portugal have been cracking in kind of big games, and although we know that Italy have not been playing as well in these qualifiers as they did in the Euros, we've seen firsthand that this team, you know, in these knockout kind of situations, these big ninety minutes winner takes all. They deliver, and they did it in the Euros. They won the Euros when, when you know, some people were calling them a dark horse, but no one really expected them to win it, and they did. And they took down some some good teams in the process. Um, and and Portugal also have have been pretty underwhelming in World Cup qualifying. Um, you know, the whole debacle with Ireland and all this. I don't know, barely scraping by. Right, needed Ronaldo, ninety seventh minute winners or whatever it was. I'm going Italy. I think. Overall, they're a better team. I think their identity is more clear. I think Roberto Mancini has done a really good job with them, and they know how they play. Um, and if they can get back to how they were playing during the Euros, I just think that they'll be too much for Portugal. Yeah, I, we didn't agree on the first two, but we are going to agree on this one. I think it will be Italy. Uh, all the, the reasons you just mentioned, I fully agree with. I think they're great. And I think, yeah, Ronaldo just isn't, uh, he's not who he was uh, anymore, in my opinion. And I just, I don't know. Bruno isn't the same player for Portugal as he is for United because of that system. Yeah. And as even though we have, I mean, Bernardo is, is the best player in my opinion for Portugal. I think he, as much as I, you know, we have city uh, three city players on Portugal. uh, I would like to see them, you know, get through, but, I think the and and the one thing that you didn't mention that I think that will push Italy over the top is they didn't make the last World Cup just like the U.S. didn't. They have that extreme motivation to correct that error because Italians were, as you can imagine, not happy uh, when Italy did not make that World Cup uh, in 2018. So I, I think they will be able to find a way in that game. And they have and, the experience in the big games, right? They they did it all summer. They won like four of them in a row. Portugal lost. Was it in the first? The was it in the round of sixteen that they lost to Belgium? Something like that. Yeah. Yep. And I think that will do it for this episode. Uh, please follow us if you don't on Twitter at u ninety football. That's at u nine zero football. Uh, and as Garrett mentioned, we will be having our first guest of uh, the entire podcast next. We will be not be doing it next uh, Tuesday. We will not release. We will wait until after the U S finish their world cup qualifying window on Wednesday. We will record right after that game and release on Thursday morning, U uh, S time, of course. And uh, we we're very excited to have this guest on, which we will announce later on, but they have a breadth of knowledge on us. So we will be very happy to have them on to talk about the U S men's national team. Yeah, so thanks for listening. Um, we will potentially be doing some questions next week. We'll see. Depends um, how many talking points the U.S. give us. Hopefully, it, we're just talking about some nice wins, right, Justin? But with that being said, uh, thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next Thursday.